0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show Podcast, episode two hundred and forty-three. Two hundred and forty three? Is it two hundred and forty four?
1: It's uh it's a different number. Is it two forty two? I'm not two hundred and forty two years old, I'm two hundred and forty three years old. <laughs> oh, sorry, you were was... at my birthday. <laughs> was... You brought me balloons. Sorry. Right, I, was right. <laughs> I promised I promised that I would finish last week's quote. What was it from? Uh it was Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Right. That was yes. Dustin Hoffman's line. Okay. So you messed I'm with sorry me, sorry. I'm sorry to do that,
0: Jake. But you messed with me. I did. You're right. It is two, four. Three. three. Excellent. Yes, Beautiful. you were correct. Well, I but. was doing well, Jake, until you messed with me.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was going to ask how you were, but I don't need to anymore. I know how. I know exactly how you feel. Yes. Sorry. Befuddled and grumpy. <laughs> Just like Dustin Hoffman's character. I never actually saw the film. I have no idea. No. I'm sure he's like a happy... Whimsical man. Have we seen that. Dustin Hoffman happy in anything? Um, he's happy for brief moments in the in the
0: Graduate, I guess. Yeah, very happy in brief, brief moments. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, what's your fun film trivia fact from <laughs> the <laughs> film of the week? A beautiful segue. Charlotte Wells. I gave you nothing. After Sun.
1: Yeah, After Sun. Um, yeah. Wow, what a film. Um, I do have some fun trivia for you, Zeke. Yep to do with um, Frankie, is it, Corio? Frankie Corio, who, of course, plays Sophie, Mm -hmm. young Sophie, in the film. Um, And director Charlotte Wells actually auditioned over 800 girls to find her Sophie, who, of Mm. course, uh, may be playing maybe a version of herself. So there's a little bit of that going on uh, in the story. And what I found really interesting about young Frankie's audition process, it consisted of self-tapes of her just carrying out daily tasks and activities with her family before landing finally an in-person audition, so I wonder if that was the thing that made her stand out initially. Mm. Uh, other than she's clearly a, a wonderful actor, yeah, and I'm very curious to see where her career goes from here. But uh, no, I thought that was very interesting indeed. Zeke, what, what what's your fun trivia fact for After Sun?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I could go with something lazy and easy, such as, "Oh, this film is loosely based on Charlotte Wells' own personal experience." Oh, I didn't holiday. know that. She went on with her father. <laughs> um, no idea. Obviously, that's very surface level. One thing that is quite quirky, though, about and this is reflected in where um, Wells' relationship with her father is the fact that the character of Callum is constantly throughout the film practicing the art of Tai Chi, which is of hmm. course this internal Chinese martial art practice for defense training, health benefits, and meditation. What's interesting about Wells is she said in an interview that it was a detail she took from her actual family, specifically her father mm. and brothers. Um, and she added that the aspect of Callum's character is reflected in the process of searching, which you know we'll go into a little bit more detail uh, in the second half of the show. It's interesting because like the Fablemans, I think it's a quote we used
1: in the show, where there are things in the Fablemans that obviously is quite autobiographical of its mm-hmm. director, and the same for this film, where there's this certain character quirks and like behaviors that are so specific that, like, oh, of course, it came from real life. Yeah. So that that kind of tracks in the same way it does with, with some of the uh, character dynamics in The Fablements, for example. So, mm. No, that is interesting, because I, I, I... Yes, it's obviously a very important part of the film. He's a meditative process almost. Yes. Um, it's something he does consistently throughout the films and that's i didn't know that
0: that is very interesting thank you for sharing your fun facts here. you're welcome jake have you watched anything in the last week no neither <laughs> <laughs> it- i'm gonna be frank and say uh no i mean we look the reality is and obviously because we haven't got much to talk about in the context of what we watched in the last week you bridge it loosely into career updates mm, and- well that that is fair enough that's probably a big reason as to why I didn't watch a lot in the last week. Absolutely. I mean you've got a lot going on in your in both fronts, in your filmmaking mm. career and and then in of course the endeavours you're trying to pursue in your own profession.
1: Well that's it. I'm actually a little um I'm not gonna say inebriated, I guess inebriated is the correct word. I had a lot of red wine earlier today. Is it a milestone celebration at work, in the VR land, Zeke. Oh, and of course I wash that down with coffee, and eventually I'm gonna have to wash that down with water. So it's a Gen- whole, it's a whole process. But
0: the idea of you drinking red wine isn't an, is an enticing and strange. Have you seen me drink red wine? I don't before? think I ever have.
1: Yeah, because uh, if we go out, it's usually more like a beer or
0: yeah, I, along those plenty lines. Plenty of beers. I don't even think many shots, maybe a jackson Coke normally that's a
1: yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a rum and coke guy like yeah. Greg <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, but we had red i was a bit celebratory because i sort of i cracked another nut so to speak in terms of like there's obviously the content side like making three sixty videos, but then because we're also doing- distributing headsets and things like that there's that aspect as well as um you know securing the mm. videos and making sure it's not easy to rip and making sure that nurses in particular don't get overwhelmed by the headset you put a quest two on it's there's a lot of menus and options and things like that yeah um and we we cracked some big codes today in terms of making it the process super super simple for nurses so it's almost just immediately turning a headset on going straight into our custom app and um which people super familiar with headset development probably know like oh of course you're referring to this software and this thing um but I'm still learning, Zeke. So it's, it's a big
0: step for the access- accessibility of your product, is what you're ex- basically Exactly. Saying. Huge. Huge. And it could be make or break, yeah. potentially. So so that's so a big thing.
1: It's a big thing. And and what's exciting last week is that we two huge things happened for, for Skin and Blister, which is very yeah. exciting. The We finished the sound, the 5.1 sound mix. It's all Excellent. done as of last Tuesday. This is very exciting. It's very rare that the sound is finished before the picture but uh, there's, I'm still chipping away at the VFX of the film, mm-hmm. so we're, we're almost there. And then the other thing is that the very next day, so this would have been Wednesday the 6th, is when uh, Blake's score for the film uh, became available online. You can go on Spotify right now and listen to the Skin and Blister soundtrack.
0: Wow. So this pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> so that's definitely uh, worth a look in. I, I almost don't want to listen to it yeah, before Yeah, I was
1: going to say, I don't... I don't reckon you should. I think the Facebook post, there's a Skin and Blister Facebook page. I think it said something like, you know, if you can't wait, you can go ahead and listen sort of thing. Mm. But Emphasis I'm, on the can't wait. Well, exactly. It, uh, um, we made a point of that of, well, like it's exciting, mm. but if you want to watch the film relatively blind, then it's probably worth just waiting a little extra bit of time. Yeah. so we'll see so like you said big milestones from the career front so that's a huge part of the reason I haven't watched anything in the last week other than like I, I so me and Kirsty finished Better Call Saul a few weeks ago yeah and um, we are trying to figure something to watch the other night I was like you know what let's put on The Office I reckon she'll like The Office so we watched the first few episodes mm, tough to get through well what I was the thing that I was sort of debating in my head do I start with season 2 or not because I know a lot of people that do just jump straight into season 2 and I decided, let's just start with season one. It's short. It's a very short. It's season. very short. And I'm still figured we're even skipping ahead. I think where we're at now, we could probably just play the last episode where Amy Adams is introduced, which is still mm. so bizarre that
0: she's in the show. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's um, a psychic, isn't she? She's like a psychic. From
1: memory, yeah. Well, I just rewatched the, the Cruise episode. She's the sister? She's
0: the sister of.
1: I'm trying to remember. Of, a ca- of one of the characters. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe. Because I haven't watched that yet. I just know. Because the last episode of season one's called New Girl or Hot Girl, yeah, whatever it is. So I, I know she's introduced there, and then then we could start season two. Because I feel like that's the main context is that Jim has a girlfriend going into season two. Season two is so good in terms of the um like obviously there, there's running elements of the story like love interest and ongoing storylines. Mm. I mean, I think season two is like the perfect um like introductionary season where the 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 status quo. Is very recognizable. Yeah. That you know, Jim's still pining after Pam sort of status quo. And it's a little like I know we're getting really tangential here, Zeke, but I like it. The Potter puppet pals. You know what always bothered me about the Potter Puppet Pals? Is I've always wondered what when does that take place? Is it the fifth year of Hogwarts? The sixth? <laughs> because, have you never seen Potter Puppet Pals? I think I've
0: heard it once, but...
1: Yeah, you've probably seen the mysterious ticking noise. Yeah. Severus Snape Dumbledore. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the best. No, but... Okay, so Voldemort's in it. This
0: is terrible. He's just a
1: regular character in Potter Puppet. By the way, Potter Puppet Pals is fantastic.
0: It is fantastic. I oh, was it quoted in The Office? Is that what...
1: No, word? no, 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 no. But w- what I mean is, like, when you think of... A show like The Office, and you yeah. figure out, like, well, what's the status quo? Is it before or after Jim and Pam get together? That, you know, those kinds of questions. And for Harry Potter, it's like, well, what's the status quo in Harry Potter? Mm. And for I found it interesting, Potter Puppet Powers was like, they needed to basically pick an era of Harry Potter. When does this take place? Because Voldemort's around, so it has to be after the fourth book. But then Dumbledore's around as well, so okay. it has to be before the sixth book. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's always bothered me for some reason. That's so I, it has to be Order of the Phoenix.
0: Yep, sixteen years ago. <laughs> was uh, I, I agree with the the point you're trying to make. I, right. I think the the ultimate argument is that when does that show kind of really hit its end point? And the arguments are, oh, when, when Michael leaves, and I think when, sure, I mean when Jim and Pam get married. In a lot of ways that's kind of the show in a nutshell, really. Mm. That's that is the driving force that kind of keeps people invested, I think. Right. And I mean that's you know, that's credit. There's there's a lot of moving parts and people that help in that. You know, the introduction of Ed Helms and Rashida Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier seasons really do stoke a fire and, and really get that show going, I think. Mm. And then obviously, you know, Rashida Jones gets written out of it and then picks up in Parks and Rec. And yep. to be honest, she's so much better in Parks and Rec. Like, mm. I, I, for no, me- well, hey, I, She's imp- improving as I'm an, an actor. I'm go. an adamant, def- I think that show is better than The Office. I think Parks and Rec is a mm. better show. Um, it'd be great one day to ever either have a podcast where Compare you Compare them or two something. Because shows- I think those two are the, the two you'd put against each other. Interesting, yeah. Because um, they've both got the Office format, the... the the mockumentary format, right, gotcha. Sorry, gotcha. Um, that they're worth comparing. There's no point in comparing British offers to American offers; like it's not the same show, really. Uh, mm. I think it's more fair to compare those two. I, I think American the comparisons shows. are very
1: clear between the UK and the US. Like it, it's sort of, it don't yeah. beat a dead horse sort of scenario. Yeah. But I see what you mean.
0: Yeah, be worth having that conversation. Yeah, but um, no, that, I think that's totally fair. Like you said, great steps forward. I'm coming to the end of my term. I'm getting ready to go on holiday oh no God. there's been a, it's been a very good progressive <laughs> term and i'm very excited moving forward Excellent. um in terms of what we can offer and, and provide and and what we can create is really cool um my kids have been creating in one year they've been creating like the west like a cowboy standoff jewel oh, okay cool um so they're playing around with like green screen and gunshots mm. and Oh, it's just so much fun! Yeah, yeah, that raw creativity, and honestly, it's it's. It was one of those things. I was a little apprehensive at first, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know if they're gonna like it." They loved it. Oh, like who know, who who didn't think uh, dressing up like a cowboy was the uh, was the way to go? I think I was in the minority
1: in in high school of like, the one. I mean, we talked about it last week. Even with like the the show that I tried mm. to make in high school was it was more exciting than it needed to be with you know, yeah. the the gun, like gun chasers and drug dealers and cops and blah, 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 blah. But even with that in mind, I still feel like I was in the minority in terms. Of, I feel like kids that age still want to do big bombastic cowboys and, and Indians. And they should be allowed to. Yeah.
0: The, the difference is, is then it's great to have all that raw potential, but then it's about putting it not back in a box, but learning how to then like turn it into an actual cohesive story, mm. not just have all of the... The popcorn flair and yeah yeah and that step for me not to get like too tangential but from a curriculum point of view that's a big missing point mm-hmm. in at least the west australian curriculum is they don't learn how to write scripts and okay. i remember that being a problem in high school um for me when i did media was you know from an atar point of view you're not marked on a, on a screenplay. Right. You don't... For that five-minute final film, you get marked on, and it's a lot less than what it used to be, Jake. Remember, it used to be a five-page treatment that you probably mm. wrote. Right. It's one now. <laughs> um, a lot of <laughs> the hey, pre-production... Yeah, a lot of the pre-production's stripped back. It's not about influencers or auteurs. It's basically just theme. What's the theme of the film? But it's more like the pre-production they want you to do with things like storyboards mostly just storyboards no shot lists or, mm. or or script and there's no like identification for um the symbiotic relationship between all parties gotcha um yeah like i mean i didn't use celltex until we were in university mm. and i'm like why wasn't i taught this like
1: yeah it's interesting cuz i wrote i wrote scripts in high school off um yeah microsoft word Mm -hmm. And I just sort of format them as close as I could to what text and Final Draft just kind of do for you automatically. Uh, But it was never part of the curriculum. I wrote a script for my year 12 first, the surrealist film that we had to do in that first half of year 12. Um, Didn't have to. The other team didn't write a script. We just did it like to help us when we shot it. It had nothing to do with the marking. Yep. So yeah, it's interesting.
0: And that's the big thing is like you want to... Try and learn, like, and I'm really hoping pushing forward that that's what we can do. We can create mm-hmm. more um, storytellers um, where they can actually plan and produce a film. I think that's my end goal. Is if I can get that across multiple year levels, like the process becoming like ingrained in. Mm-hmm. That by the time that they, if they start in year nine, by the time they get to year twelve, they're like ready to go. Just and and making, a big part
1: of that is just making them just reading scripts. Yeah. Understanding the format
0: and why it is the way it is. Yeah. That could go
1: a huge way.
0: Absolutely agree. But yeah, look, holidays coming up. Definitely looking forward to it. I know you're (laughs) looking forward to it with with uh, Kirsty. I know. I'm going to Bustleton in a couple of weeks. So good. Very exciting. So good. Well, then I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake. What are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching
1: After Sun.
2: You know, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. Done it all and you can too.
0: <laughs> Wish we could escape for longer. Me too. Sophie reflects on her shared, joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories, real and imagined, fill the gaps between mini-DV footage as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't.
1: The old camcorder.
0: <laughs> I do actually quite like that, uh, logline. I, I don't think that gives away too much. I I don't think it does, but... It definitely takes away from
1: your, if you go into this fairly blind, it robs a lot of the discovery of what the story even is. Which, to be mm. fair, could be distracting. Because I remember when I first saw this, this is March, I think it was the episode we did the Green Knight for, 219, is, is around the time when I saw it. And I remember a lot of my first view of this film, like almost being distracted by the idea of trying to figure out what is actually happening the whole time, and yeah. that, that's its own like intertextual layer in terms of what the story is about, which is also this idea of trying to uncover and and solve and mm. unravel, in a sense. Yeah. Um, I like the wording unfold because of course the. A lot of the posters, it's almost like a, a photograph being unfolded. You see the seams. I like it. Um, well, it's
0: actually it's more a VHS overlay. I'm looking at it right now. It's less of a oh, fold. Okay. It's more like a VHS, like the DV.
1: Oh, okay. We might be looking at different posters, but I know I know what you mean. I got a custom poster here. Obviously, the, the
0: the the like the DV recorder is a big part of this. Obviously, yes. it's it's. Um, basically Callum's, the portal into the story yeah it, is. In a lot of it ways. is the portal into the story and and yeah i guess there is that definitive sort of moment later in the film that kind of links the two worlds if mm. you will but um it is interesting it is interesting um this film's i it's, i like what you're saying where you feel like oh you know you felt distracted trying to like solve things and you found yourself kind of getting a little lost trying to work out what actually was happening. Yeah. maybe Because not. you were ruthlessly trying to... we well, were trying to pursue what the actual driving point was.
1: Yeah, and and I guess it is vague, intentionally. And, like, on the second viewing, I was so much more... It was so much more clear mm. what the throughline story was. and Because and, I, I remember writing, when I first saw this... I used the analogy, and I probably used the analogy on that, on that podcast episode yeah. earlier as well, was that when the movie finished, in, to my left, in the cinema, was someone crying to my right was was someone being like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Completely just didn't process any of it. Um, and I understand where that, I, that comes from. I do. And, and like you said earlier, that it very clearly is this is inspired by, what's well, autobiographical, it's inspired by Charlotte Wells' his own experience with her dad. When they were, and there's a photo of them too, compared to um, the two actors portraying them. And it, it's scary, man. They look mm. spot on. Like he looks exactly like her father, really, yeah, it's awesome and it and it's sad because this is a very sad film, and it is based on very real events, um but to go back to that point of initially feeling distracted, trying to catch up and and the second viewing it was I was able to sort of soak in the the tone of it mm. and the atmosphere of it because it is a little ethereal. And it's a little dreamlike at times, and I and I think that just sort of emphasizes how sad it is. Is when I when I was able to focus that second mm. time around, um, I kind of don't know where to go from there, to be honest, with this film.
0: Well, it's I think you're kind of encapsulating the sort of point of this film. It's it, it's, and like you said, I do think the ending f- f- facilitates that sort of polarizing reaction because this film isn't tr- it feels so personable and it is one of those moments that makes you think about your relationships with your parents yeah um particularly if your parents have got some form of like mental um health issues mm. and, and and well-being issues and and particularly putting that almost that weight that it's seemingly sophie in the present is kind of putting on herself as she Mm -hmm. recollects that final trip she had, or the last trip she ever had or interaction she had had with Callum, her dad, because that's sort of what is, I think the, the driving purpose of the film is we really seeing this not lackluster trip. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It really is just a getaway with between a a father and a, and a daughter, Mm. In which there is minimal conflicts. Like there's no big arguments. Mm. There's no I hate Jews. There's a there there's is no one... big revelation.
1: No, it there... never builds
0: anything specifically. Yeah, there's no crescendo. You know, we're not. It's a. It's not like in a in a Before Sunrise or any of the Before trilogy mm. where it's two characters talking for a long period of time that leads to normally a big climactic emotional outburst. Right. Whether it's, uh repressed emotions for each other or resentment for each other built over years of time it it really even even blue jay would be a great example you spend that whole film trying to where where does
1: all these emotions that are bubbled back up between these two characters where does it stem from where did the pain begin what happened and there is a big explosive explanation for all Mm. of it and that doesn't exist in this film
0: at all no it 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 takes its time and it really is just the the child's perspective for the most part Mm -hmm. i mean we do alternate we do alternate points of view between callum and sophie yeah over the course of the film of course there are scenes that are very clearly left in callum's perspective that are there for the viewer to see what's going on under the surface of Mm -hmm. of callum particularly um but for the most part this is a film about sophie's perspective of that trip and trying to sort of fill in the gaps where things happened. Um, it's a trip that has, you know, residing personal emotions for her. It's her first experience, you know, like kissing a boy and probably mm. discovering that's not really for her, as yeah. we, we see in the later parts of the film, when she's in a, a same-sex relationship and assumably has a baby. I heard the baby, In the, yeah. in the other room. Mm. So they have a child. Um, you know, and it's this sort of this film that's piecing together that sort of coming of age story in parallel to this story of while she's kind of coming of age and she's starting to discover a bit of our identity who she' already a, a very mature child like she's yes. not given the fact that her parents are presumably both Callum and her mother are incredibly young mm. um by must have had her at seventeen eighteen years old mm-hmm. because Callum's thirty in this film, yeah. Sophie's assumably 12 I think think 11 yeah yeah. so very young parents yeah I mean there's even that line where he gets they think they're brother and sister yeah Yeah. and I think that there's a lot going on in that film in the film trying to like break down sort of the rationale behind where you know she sat or where he was at it it really Mm -hmm. is a discovery to understand where that sickness is coming from and maybe things such as the tai chi that seemed kind of silly at the time mm. were actually a way of gro- trying, attempting to ground this person.
1: Yeah, that um, that's an interesting point as well. And and I think because this film has no big explosive revelation or climax, that you're sort of forced, much like you imagine the adult Sophie is doing by watching these clips, all the little behaviours, and you know what it means to be, you know, dancing on the edge of this sort of to a bus and you're right what maybe seems like like a goofy character trait is actually something this person's trying to do to ground themselves mm. to try and help themselves and and it, it obviously doesn't work in the end but i it, that was my takeaway from the film is like much like the character you know sifting through all the scenes and all these little interactions and like the way that Sophie mimics her father or i love the idea of obviously they're in the room with just the one bed and mm. that's established quite early on, the fact that she's asleep in the bed and he sort of takes the balcony or the smaller bed and that they swap positions by the end of the film. Eventually he's on that bed naked and she swaps into the other bed. And like, it's all those little gestures, those little moments are what we're meant to be looking out for. Mm. And and what's so great about the structure of the film, I didn't even notice this my first time around, is the very opening shot, which, was, which is the mini DV uh, camera footage, is that when that pauses? I didn't even notice that you can see part of her shadow reflecting on the top right of the screen. Mm. That is like, oh, there's your first hint that we're wa- we're like watching into this portal, into this time yeah. portal that is the camera, the television, um, and before the, the whole film essentially rewinds back to the beginning of the trip. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fascinating and it's bold for a first-time director. This is yeah. an incredibly bold film because it doesn't have a traditional act structure, I'm sure you could put one together, there's definitely like the low points, the night of the karaoke for example you could probably say is like end of act two, mm. but in terms of we anticipating a big explosive climax, a big explanation of what's happened to her father and why he is the way he is, we don't really get a lot of that, we get maybe hints and we get visual behaviours but nothing more than that, and it's like we... Almost share the same sadness and frustration as Sophie would as an adult by the end of the film.
0: Yeah, because it's that, and you know, there's such a powerful. There are such a collection of really powerful shots scattered throughout mm. the film. But I mean that 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 last sequence is so it hits you like a ton of bricks, and yeah. that's when it really sinks in. Um, obviously having that this sort of rave like sequence, mm. um. Yeah. Occurring and being peppered through almost as as chapter bookmarks, right? Um, obviously raises questions, and then that gets you know sort of tied up into a bow and kind of makes sense by the end of the film, or at yeah. least in in my head, my perception of what that is. I I, I don't want to jump mm. too far ahead. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, like you said, it is this. It's a basically watching this woman in the present day trying to make sense of assumably her father's suicide Mm. Um, and trying to rash and where we always go is to our last interaction. And for a lot of people, normally that last interaction is very close to the event, Mm. but assumably the, the argument is we don't really know when Callum at this point in the timeline did Commit suicide. We assume it wasn't probably too long after this.
1: Yeah, I would imagine it was pretty soon after she left, for example. Yeah. While she got on the plane. Yeah.
0: And the fact that we're now seeing a a grown Sophie, a mother Sophie, Mm. um, who's around
1: the same age at this point, she would be in her early 30s too by this point in the story.
0: Obviously, perplexed by that particular thing. I mean, that's, there's a lot of emotional weight that that carries and Mm. we don't see and it's interesting because we don't see the you know we're not constantly calling back to the sophie of the present day while watching these dvs to see her reactions to see her seeing that particular that scene it's not a back and forth story she's minimalist she's she's barely a part of the film she's bound she's bound to these dream sequences Mm. And then a few callback scenes in the very late stages of the film, basically to explain what's happened. But why? Why do you think that is? What do you think that's more effective, or do you think? Yeah,
1: it's it's certainly because you're right. The more traditional way to do it would be to call back and forth two timelines. You're right that are constantly cutting back and forth, and we we see what adult Sophie is like, and we're analysing her behaviours and how did this trip change her behaviours and all I guess really it goes down to all we really needed from that is the equivalent of a single shot we start on the rug Mm. we tilt up we see her get up she's got a partner who says you know happy birthday Sophie and we hear a baby crying in the corner and she's up in the middle of the night maybe stressed or just can't stop thinking about this and it's like that is all the context you need for the present day, and I, I again, I think it's really bold to not take the obvious choice. To just, all right, we're going to get like a tiny little glimpse into mm. who she is now, and that that's I all you need. Because I was the whole. You're right. There's there's this whole sort of B side of the story going on with the relationships she has with the the local kids in the the Turkish hotel, mm. and there's Michael, the little boy, and you're like, oh, they're going to develop a little thing together and they're riding the bikes together but then she's also a bit more she's more appealed to the the older horny teens and I guess there's that coming of age sequence but what I love about that is that story is being told there through all like that those scopophilic close-up shots of the teen girls and what I initially thought was oh there's like a sense of envy there I wish I was older I wish I was more attractive which is something i think the uh, film old definitely could have done more with It did not but that's a story for another time. Uh what we're actually seeing is her maybe attracted to yeah. the female body. But it, it and, it, and it it's subverts a mystery. It. It's yeah. so clever because it, and you're
0: 100% right that is a that is a massive point there and it's not obvious and and like you said i think the art of this film lies in its subtlety and that is bold in its own right. Mm. It's not trying to be overt. It's not trying to hold your hand or shove force emotions down your throat. It doesn't, it wants you to feel what you feel mm. and process what you process, much like a child processes what they want to process. Um, and uh, sort of work it out from there. You're 100% right in those earlier scenes when, you know, she starts hanging out with the teens and they're all. Obviously, you know, getting up in each other's grills mm. they jump into the water. Yeah, 100%. That that perception is, I want to be like an older girl. And we start to see Sophie's, not mannerisms, she doesn't go extreme. This is the other thing, that subtlety. Mm, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's not like she's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with my dad. I'm too cool now. I'm becoming a teenager. Mm. It's it's more subtle. Like she, you know, there's little lines like, when Callum asks, um, why are you still in your bikini? It's like night. Like, mm. oh, there's yeah. no, no reason. And... And there's little little acts of rebellion, but they're not like overt. She's not challenging his authority in that sense. It's
1: I one of the scenes you're thinking of is when he wants to jump in the pool and she just kind of won't move from yeah. the chair,
0: and then he kind of basically
1: throws her into the pool. Yeah, yeah. That's you're right. Very very subtle, but I think you're hearing you explain it like that. I'm now making those connections of oh that that's coming from the rebellious side of hanging out with the older teens and this and the yeah. But it's, it all checks out.
0: Yeah, but it's it's more this. Yeah, it's just indifference, if anything, mm. um, which is uh, quite interesting. And of course, when you know she, but she's then the one to be like, "Let's just do karaoke. Let's go for yep. some fun." And he's the one who acts childish in that situation. He doesn't get up and and do mm. it. And and her perception of that is he's just being petty and childish. And mm. and we have to sit through the whole number. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, we experience that agony and anguish that she feels, but does it lead to her having a, a, a tantrum? No, she very wittingly kind of navigates it with a snippy remark, but it's, it's kind disappoint- of a justified well, remark. Well, yeah, and,
1: and and it's it's disappointment. And I actually I saw a video of Charlotte Wells talking about that specific scene and the way she described it is, it's a little bit of a loss of innocence in that moment. There's this is little moment of. My father disappointed me. Yeah. And it, it like you said, we have to suffer through the entire performance of losing my religion, which I think is in itself a song about feeling frustrated and desperate in a situation. So obviously she's feeling frustrated in this moment because he won't participate, but he's feeling frustrated and desperate on a much larger scale. Yeah. For these feelings. And again, we, we it's hard for us to specify where those feelings are coming from. We're just sort of observing them in these in-between moments
0: but this is the thing this is that interesting thing that i think one of the conversations it's trying to put forward is a few things that like i said that you know we've got young parenthood young divorce happening here um but a a reason what seems to be that both callum and the mother are at least off screen but they're putting sophie first sophie Mm. doesn't feel neglected Mm. in this this trio of a relationship and it doesn't seem like too unhealthy a relationship but I think one of the things Wells is trying to put forward here is is the fact that sometimes like mental health and 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 sickness uh you know of sort of the mind and well-being is is not always explainable. It's this mm. inexplainable thing, you know. It's an invisible barrier. Um and movies sometimes in particular movies and media are very good at being like, well, this character's depressed because, oh, insert... Si- said Yeah, insert yeah. inciting incident or relationship. Um, and that's why. And yeah. we as humans, we do that a lot too. We're definitely in, in a world now where we, we're more, um, in, especially in a... What a week to do this on Are You U mm. OK? week. Um, oh, there you go. Uh, this Thursday. <laughs> but in a world where we've become so conscientious of our mental health and well-being, a lot yep. of us... Are actually pretty good at saying why we feel a certain way, Mm. um, because of X, Y, and Z. You know, we feel depressed because we feel overworked or underappreciated, or or this, that, and that, and that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes people just don't have that answer. You know, the
1: thing is, as well, when you get into clinical depression, is, and I, I can talk about, I can talk from experience, both myself and then others around me, is that half the frustration comes from not even being able to identify yourself mm. what the problem is. And I think that is potentially something with Callum. I think there's the parental guidance in the film. We talked about the Florida project where the, it's like the parent mm. and the child, there's that barrier and trying to shield your child from this that barrier. This is a lot of Florida it, project about it, it. It does. It really does. And, um... Although I think Callum is uh is he's trying a lot harder to be a good parent. <laughs> so he's a significantly better parent uh, otherwise. a <laughs> than maybe some of the characters in the Florida Project, but um, not that that I mean that film is is a masterpiece. I feel like, but I and like much like the Florida Project, that that gap sort of is being is disappearing, and I think part of that is after the karaoke, like you said, the sly comment where he talks about karaoke or not karaoke, but um, singing lessons. And she's like, well, you can't afford it, so what's the point? Hmm. And it's like, that that barrier has been shattered right in front of him. Like, oh, I can't shield this from my daughter. And we see that with the rug as well, or the rug's really expensive. And so I, I think that's part of what this film is as well, is is he's, I'm sure there's this internal frustration of, of everything he's going through and being unable to hide it from his daughter mm. and that, not in, in and there's a frustration as well from Sophie in later years of like I wish I saw it for what it was more, and maybe there's something. I mean, what could
0: she possibly do in that scenario? And that's but that's the helplessness aspect exactly. there too. Yeah. And then that's a frustration. It's, and this her watching it back, like you said, probably assumably years after mm. Callum was not you know has been gone from the world, and and still having that play over and over again. And and I imagine that's a, that that's a reason why it does resonate quite heavily this mm-hmm. film with some people and then some people it, it kind of falls a little it can be a little confusing or a little uh barren as a film mm. emotively it yeah. feels like at times you definitely have to go searching for meaning in it which is obviously a, a big through line of of the characters in it yes um searching and, and trying to
1: unfold information and analyze Information.
0: I think it really, I think for me, the final, what, 10 minutes of the film, mm. particularly, you know, after their last meal and their last night, and they're talking about why can't it go forever, and then, mm. of course, then having the final goodbye hotel sequence, it just hits you like a, a ton of bricks. It does. The last shot, obviously, after Sophie leaves through the gates and, you know, gets, uh, assumably, on the plane, and we, we cut to the reverse of the DV, and it's. Mm. Callum in an empty, isolated hallway, but I just the composition of that particular shot is so powerful in so many ways. Mm. And, and they're looking
1: at each other through the screen. Yeah, and they're yeah. both they're both holding the same camera in their hands in that shot, reverse shot,
0: and it hits. And it, I think one of the things that I love about that shot is that the, everything in the frame, but the fact that Callum goes through the EDM door, if you will. <laughs> Um, which is obviously Sophie's dream, like Sophie's, Sophie's yeah. present day dream slash nightmare. This idea of the only way she ever sees Callum anymore, her, her father, is is in these in these dreams, mm. in these dreams where there's no sound and there's barely any visuals, and it's navigating through seas and seas of memories and people, um, and getting close but never getting. Right, that, that
1: that proper satisfaction, and it's such an artistic clarity. But
0: once again, what a bold way of of telling something could easily have just been in a black room, you mm. know, and under the skin esque, just complete black. I was thinking room. that or Stranger Things, that like low key, like lighting setup, yeah. To go something as as a kind of odd as an e like an EDM rave right sequence, that you know incites epileptic warnings but but it's just a different way of thinking about the same kind of idea yes and i love that well there's a lot to love about that stuff
1: there's the visual echo i mean it's almost like a limbo stage because you're right the last thing he does is turn around in the empty hallway and walk back in and, and like that that is something they would have had to go out of their way to construct is that when he opens that door that's what he's returning to Mm. it's not just a black void but it's the it's the rave with all the lights and the people and the the silhouettes and everything and what i love about this scene or especially the fact that the adult sophie is sort of intersected into this rave it almost is like that cross crossroads i think it's incredibly important that they're about the same age now if it is 20 years later as the log line says then they would both be around 31 32 um that is their crossroads in life is that they're sort of she's now the same age he was and i think that was a huge part of the embryonic stage of this film with charlotte webbs finding uh, uh wells actually sorry charlotte wells finding images of her dad and saying that like, wow he he looks so young and that's essentially the origin of of this film was just that observation mm. so i think mean, that's why it's really important she's in there with him in those last moments and almost like grabbing onto him and screaming or pleading and that again that's where the frustration comes from and and his last moment it's not at the airport it's at the rave and like you said it's it, it, it that's where they shared their last meal and their last dance and yeah no it's it's so wonderfully achieved like you said it hits you like a ton of bricks yeah Um, for a film that up until this point you could argue the editing and the pacing of it was quite slow and methodical and and maybe it was having more of an imprint on you than you realised until you get to that scene on on these two characters.
0: I think there are little things too that there is this memory like, there's this genuine consideration from a uh, editing and cinematography point of view about Mm. this film that I love that what Wells has tried to do which is tried to recreate memories and i mean yep. that not just in the through the dv found footage formula which is the probably the easier way to achieve that yeah thing.
1: it's it, the one that like we physically we have a semiotic object and as in the camera that represents that
0: yeah which helps enable obviously bridge the worlds, which yes. is it's still important but for me it's the subtle nuances it's those scopeville sh- uh, shots where we're misinterpreting the Sophie's perspective on those shots because yes. of the chronologi- uh the chronology of the film but it's little ones like we constantly call back to the kite surfers yes. and the and the gliders because she that's something she remembers it's imprinted in the modern day Sophie's head. Mm. Um and we call back to them all the time. Yeah. Um, because that's something she remembered about that Turkish experience. She wanted to do it. She couldn't do it. She was too young. Um, and of course, like Callum probably couldn't afford it, Mm. but it was that, what I found interesting about that was that just imprinted in their little ones. Like you said, when she's on the, the motorcycle arcade game and she leans into what's the boy's name, Michael, Michael, and it like their arms almost touch and yeah. And it's like. A moment that her as a girl has clicked on that moment. Mm. And I think we always, teenagers, have those moments, those little intimate moments that we yeah. had with someone. And they don't even have to be kissing or anything. It's like.
1: No, it's like, oh my God, we almost touched hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like yeah. That, that weird <laughs> moment of, oh,
0: what if is happening yeah. here? And those, it's that thing where, you know, and it's in the tagline, you know, memories burn. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's the point is it's, it's meant to sit in your head. And I, I find it so fascinating. It's like the moment when she actually kisses Michael and we immediately pan over and her eyes are darting to the water. Like she's just. Yeah.
1: And I think we're getting the reflection of the roof where the teens are knocking on the
0: glass. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's almost like that detail was more important than the.
0: The kiss itself, yeah, because it's almost yeah, it is that perception. So, um, it's a it's a film that, at first, yeah, it's one of those films you have to give time because I think there aren't many films in recent memory I think that pay off in the last ten minutes. I think than this one does, right? But it's a it's a film that it's a very reflective film. You know, mm-hmm. it ref, it's reflecting. It's personal. It'll resonate. It's it's kind of like things like the, the introduction to Up or even the through-line story of Up. I think that emotional weight yep. hits harder for some people. Some It's just a fun, nice film that has some really heavy emotional moments, but mm. for some people, that film hits yep. hard. It's got that, um,
1: that essence where it's like, yeah, there are certain people that this film was made for me. Mm. And... And I remember thinking this when I first saw it, and I still think now, where on earth does Charlotte Wells go from here? Like, not even just in terms of her first film being like just a smash critical hit, mm. um, not necessarily commercial. I don't know how the film did monetarily. I know like A24 and Moby um, distributed it respectively. But in terms of as an artist, as a filmmaker, like, how can you possibly go forward from
0: here? I think it's the same thing as, you know, we, we have the same conversation about Shannon Murphy when Baby Teeth dropped. Sure, yeah. You know, obviously this one's got, you know, probably a little bit more critical claim internationally, but I mm. would say Baby Teeth, you know, here obviously here in Australia, it's like, where do you go from, from there? I mean, that film, I think, has the same sort of emotional weight, different perspectives. Interesting, yeah. Um, But it's interesting, because you, you ask that self, where do you go from here i think it's kind of the same as the duplasses or okay who who clearly have these heavily emotional films that good filmmakers will find somewhere to go i th- i think it's it's interesting cuz you could even ask the father i mean the son was not nearly as well received do you try and push as far away from this type of storytelling for mm. your second project do you um, even last week, you know, we, we were doing Hounds of Love, um, and you know, yeah, that's a good point. Ben Young tried do, do to you go big and go big, and it didn't really work. And so, where do you where do you go from here? Is the big uh, the big question? I
1: could see. So, a good example of this because you got Emerald Fennell's new film around the corner, um, Saltburn. I think it's Saltburn, and the trailer looks quite. I don't even know how to describe it. It looks really kind of wacky and fun, but like beautifully shot and artistic and a great cast. So I feel like going from Promising Young Woman, which I would put in a similar camp as well, as like this feels like a very personal film, where does mm. she go from here, to something like that that's a bit more of like an artistic swing mm. and maybe isn't necessarily as personal but is is still very interesting and auteur and... You know, not going straight into directing Ant Man films,
0: <laughs> which I hope to God is. Not I the think case we're here. going to see some some really nice films from her. Yeah, a quite maybe not something that will hit as hard as this in terms of commercial critical success, but maybe quiet, soft spoken, really nice films. I think. Mm. I think there's. She definitely hit an emotional spot with me, which doesn't happen probably as often as you'd want it to. But right. It, it, it was a really clever way of telling this. Like you said, I think bold is one of the big words that we've used a lot mm. in this review, but I think stand by it. I think she's taken a story that could have easily been quite gene- For- generic, generic, formulaic. Well, formulaic, you know, generic, they're very, um, harsh words in a way, cause it's such a personal story, but something that is so close. To- it's so hard when you have something so close to home, cause you, yeah, you maybe get too caught up in it. And the fact that she was able to take that step back and really explore... Well, do that that sort of hindsight mm. methodology of of what story am I trying to encapsulate? Where does my frustration as a person translate into my character? Yeah. Without it becoming too personable, but personable enough that it feels relatable.
1: Yeah, and, and that that is there's something you have to strike because i'm i i am of the belief that like the more personal to go the more um sort of almost you it's almost a a um a paradox in a mm. sense that the more personal you go the more wider net you actually might catch with your audience um and i think after sun has that effect on i think mean, the vast majority of people not everybody like i said to my left to my right very different <laughs> reactions to the film and that's just because of how abstract the storytelling is uh, which in, in itself is what makes the film so strong in so many ways but yeah I'm I am curious where she goes next Thanks. I think I mean it, you know what is there even any information on that let's find out Zeke I see no information on her next film interesting she's got a few shorts from 2015 2017 respectively but that's okay Um, I want to talk a little more about the quote in this film this it's an extended quote that sophie has but i feel like it's the thing that most closely ties to the name of the film after sun and that she talks about how she loves you know seeing the sun because she knows that you know when i see it that someone you know maybe like callum in another world will see that same sun on the other side of the world and and the quote is we both we're both underneath the same sky and i'm trying to sort of decipher what talking about the sun being something that that essentially connects us all Mm. and it's told in such a simplistic childlike way yeah and how that correlates to a title like after Sun," i guess like after the fact after that connection is lost yeah
0: i i think i honestly think you've encapsulated exactly what (laughs) that is it's weird when it's like it's almost like when you hear that in an essay, and you're like, "Yeah, that's exactly it." Like, that's <laughs> that's like because it is. It's 100 yeah. percent it. It's this idea of, I mean, after sun, it's like the afterlife, but it's the sun quote put together. Yeah, and, and like you said, that we're all under the same sun. I think you've got the end. You know, the the thesis behind that in the sense that
1: I think if I'm going to connection to disconnection is the main.
0: I think that, Journey, you know, the you can, and on. you can take it that step further. You know, like you said, the, the song she is singing is losing my religion. Yes. And, you know, there's always that sort of link there. And, you know, it'd be funny if you ever had one of these filmmakers one day, like a, a Charlotte Wells listening to a podcast like this, being like, there's, it was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. Um, <laughs> it probably has. Um, although we did well with our one nitram. One, so there we go. That's true. That's true. We didn't. We we, had some
1: Nitram folks compliment
0: us. So that's true. So Charlotte, (laughs) if you're listening to it, we we do like your film. We're just guessing everything now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're just having a wild guess here. But uh, it's that thing about losing my religion. It could, you know, obviously link to the fact that there is no uh, divine uh, belief in our characters. We don't think that Callum believes in God. We don't think Sophie believes in God. There's that idea that. There are only these, like, albeit not scientific, well, scientific but spiritual mm. links to sort of the earth. The fact that you're right, everyone does see the sun, um, no matter if they're still on the earth or in it or one with it. Um,
1: I guess you could even just, even to take the religious analogy out of it of just like, well, you're probably buried
0: after Yeah, that's, that was, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you've just, you've, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I think, I think I described this very early on as Charlotte's cinematic diary. <laughs> and I, I think that's incredibly accurate. Cause like you said, mm. it, it extends beyond just the shaky cam found footage.
0: Um, it's like a web. It's got many different uh, strands and directions. There you go.
1: Did I call no. it Charlotte web again? No. Okay, good. That was. Is- <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop doing that. Um, there's a few scenes I want to talk about, but I, I guess this can kind of, uh, perfectly segue us into highlight scenes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what What was your highlight scene, uh, brackets, plural, and close bracket, bracket? Oh my God. I
0: think... I need to have that water now I mentioned earlier. It's very... <laughs> Watch it in- out of coffee. It's interesting, because there's a lot of little bits and bobs. I could easily argue that final sequence at the airport is emotionally, uh... Is the emotional discharge we're talking about. So it's the beauty of this film or at least the boldness of this film is is the fact that yeah, these characters don't emotionally discharge at each other, therefore Mm. the audience goes, Ah, that was the the bubbles burst and that's why it's burst. I
1: found the moment (laughs) like in a blue jay or
0: or the before trilogy where and we're not saying those are bad, but those are the way we more traditionally Mm, That's the structure we've come to expect now um especially with a two piece film like even this one um or even in Florida project there are the bubble does burst and in in mm. a quite abrupt and confronting scene yeah um and this film doesn't get that that scene at least not in the the conventional sense it gets it in that moment where we have that final sequence in the airport mm. the goodbye basically the final goodbye for both yep. characters um which is very similar to the the sort of way the farewell tackles the same goodbye grief mm. with aquafina driving away um and sort of breaking down crying oh that still hits that yeah it does um you're
1: right no, it's a shot reverse shot through a glass pane and um fantastic. two two characters yeah robbed no, that's a, i didn't even think about that comparison It's great robbed um oh man did she aquafina i think she won
0: the golden globe yeah but got robbed at the oscars yeah no, got done dirty. True. Done dirty, um, done bloody dirty. Um, but yeah, look, it it is quite impactful. I'm going to go with. I mean, I it's really hard not to like the pressure scene, mainly from not an the pressure the pressure yeah. dance scene where obviously Callum's dancing and trying to convince Sophie to dance, and it's that moment where it almost feels like, at least in that sequence, obviously we start to integrate the the EDM dream sequences mm. and, the, and the song gets remixed into really putting emphasis on the words yep. of Freddie Mercury in that song, which is great editing mm. in that sequence. But it's it's also almost feels like that is one of the few, if not the only time it feels like the Sophie of the present day is kind of pressing As on him. Has of the story, yeah. Well, trying to almost insert herself into the story, into her younger body. Yeah trying to treasure that moment mm. and it comes across that way because of, you know, she's hugging him and it feels like that hug goes way longer than probably what it did in the moment. Sure. It felt like it, in the moment it would have been Sophie being like, she go, he goes for the hug and like a silly, like, Oh, silly dad, go over there. Yeah. I'm too cool for you right now. Moment. But it has a moment where it holds mm. and kind of does the EDM blipping,
1: and it's kind of between the two of them hugging him, isn't and it?
0: And it does, and it really has it's that moment where, Sophie's. yeah, it has that moment where it's almost like Sophie's trying to hold that moment in time in the present day. Yeah. And that that's just amazing editing and storytelling mm-hmm. and a fantastic use of a song that in, let's be real, a lot of Queen songs... Not cringily used, la- lazily but used in a lot of films. fantastic way of saying it. Sure. Lazily used, they're used for the the Queen pop moment. Oh, yep. it's a Queen song. Got to get that used, needle dropping. You know, like, I mean, I don't think "Don't Stop Me Now" has been useful in a movie since Shaun of the Dead. Like, I think <laughs> that was the lot, la- and that's what seventeen years ago. So it's like, whenever I hear a Queen song, I kind of groan. Like, it's like. And I like Queen songs, but they're a bit, they're just too obvious most of the time.
1: I thought they went a bit ham on um, Bohemian Rhapsody with the Queen songs.
0: Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I'm Fat Bottom Girls. Making a joke, yeah. <laughs> I like Fat Bottom Girls. This is a great song. They're great songs, but they are the most like, ugh, in a movie. Right. They kind of feel... It feels,
1: it feels cheap. It feels like it's trying to get, it's trying to win the audience with nostalgia.
0: Yeah. Whereas and it's this certainly not the case. Yet. No, the way of isolating and playing with the song to kind of emphasize the the words Mercury saying and even mm. warp them in, in some senses is, oh, it was just fantastic sequence. Yeah. Um,
1: like you said, just it hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. So what to about speak. you, Jake? I have a few scenes. I don't know kind of where to go from here. Um, I love. There's a great transition it's not even a cut it's like a cross dissolve between um sophie getting all the all the other people on the tour to start sending happy birthday to callum <clears throat> and he looks down toward the camera from above the rocks and we get the like a haunting cross dissolve of the back of his naked body as he's just like sobbing, sobbing and, and weeping and it's so uncomfortable because it's the most we've ever seen him Emote at this point in terms of his struggles because everything up until that point is a sort of this quiet, melancholic stance that he has. Um, and speaking of that, I think another one I would probably shout at is the first time that he... Because the first time we see that there's any sort of um, cognizant... Um, what's the word I'm trying? Not disillusion, but uh, the first hint, the first hint at, at seeing what's going on with Callum is when it's the first night we see Sophie asleep on the bed and we're looking through the glass uh, door to Callum as he's sort of dancing and smoking. And it's a very mysterious moment. I love the sound design because it's it's the Joker. I'm the Joker, baby. (laughs) And um, all you can hear from the sound design is just like her quiet breathing while asleep. And it's this first idea of isolation. And then the first time we see it when she's awake is when she's reading the book and we get a, We get a disconnected shot in there, don't we, Zeke? Mm. With the wall in the centre and he's on the other end cutting his arm cast off and just, like, almost purposely inflicting pain onto himself in this moment when she's trying to actively speak to him. And it's a great visual of their isolation and that the fact that she's oblivious to what is going on, Mm. but that he, in that moment, can't put up the front in front of her. He's just struggling. So there's a lot of just fantastic moments like that. Um, and probably last one I'll give a shout-out to is the the framing of the, the television set. We're getting the live feed of the camera mm. and they're in the hotel room. And then I love that even after they cut the feed, you see the reflection in the television yeah. as he's talking to her about one of his birthdays. Um, yeah, just, again, so bold. How long the takes are, how clever the blocking is that we we'll constantly see him callum through these reflections never getting real good looks in him just yeah lots of brilliant little moments peppered throughout the film like starting that. to break the system here jake i know i'm sorry you know the early episodes we used to do like four highlight scenes per <laughs> we actually did that quite early and then we got a bit more straight no okay if i was going to pick a highlight scene it would probably be the framing of the two of them cut off by the wall mm. and him cutting the armcast and her trying to talk to him I, okay, I'm, I'm pinning it in Zeke. You're pinning it in. I'm pinning it in. And that's You've my highlight scene for After Sun. Excellent. Well, not af- before Sun. No. <laughs> before sunrise.
0: After Sun is currently out on binge. Indeed, it is. Well, speaking of binge, Thank you, Jack, binge. What's new to streaming platforms and cinemas near us? I
1: find it funny you mentioned the Sun earlier, Florine Zeller's The Sun, because that's also coming to binge this week. Hey, Very nice. As well as films like Johnny and Clyde and uh, Bill Nye's Living, which I think he was also up. He was in the same category as uh, Paul Mescal. Yes. Uh, in terms of an Oscar win, so there you go. Uh, of course, they both floss to Brendan Fraser. It, it, it happens. It happens. Hmm. Uh, coming to Netflix, we have Love at First Sight, which is a couple who fall for each other on their flight from New York to London and defy the odds by trying to find each other again. It sounds very... Typical. <laughs> very typical. <laughs> Who knows? It might be even better than After Sun. Who knows? Who knows, Zeke? Like? Uh, coming to Stan, we have some of the Alvin and the Chipmunk films from back in the day, as well as, uh, I think, both Paddington films,
0: which nice. I
1: think we both need to watch those. Yes. We, we hear I hear very good things about them.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, Paddington 2 in particular has yes. a ridiculously high uh, rating on... Letterboxd so yes, mm-hmm. I've I've been meaning to watch both.
1: We've got to be careful with the Rotten Tomatoes. Did you hear that? No. They it got they got outed. I can't remember which company it was, but there was a company paying them paying reviewers to give positive enough scores to raise the Rotten Tomato score. What? Yeah. What was that thing Catherine Langford was in? It's like a mythical something or other she was in.
0: You're yeah, not sure.
1: What? Yeah, I can't I can't remember. I think that was one of the Shows or films that got outed. It was like meant to be. It was going to be a forty-three percent. That ended up being sixty-seven. It was a whole thing there. I don't know. You can people, controversies feel free feel free to look it up on your own time because I am not going to do it. Coming to Disney Plus, we have Pixar's Elemental. Yay! Yay! Cool. It got a good rating. Yeah, well, it it eventually it slowly but surely made its money back in the box office. So maybe Pixar are on track to start doing theatrical releases again because this was their first non-flop since COVID. That's wild. uh, Well, I mean, hey, Pixar, they're not what they quite used to be, Zeke. No, that is very true. Very true, Jake. Very true. Thank you. (laughs) And also coming to Disney Plus this week, we've got the Royal Abbott Hole Special, uh, Lang Lang Plays Disney. So if you're into that, sweet. Coming to Prime this week, we have the first three John Wick films. And A Million Miles Away, which stars Michael Pena as a real-life first uh, migrant farm worker who travelled to space. Mm. There you go. Look at him go. Was it actually him? Is he playing himself? <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. And finally, coming to cinemas, we have films such as uh, DC's latest Blue Beetle. Yay! I'm so excited for Blue Beetle, Zeke. It's got
0: a dude from, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, That's all I need to Cobra know. Cobra Kai
1: ah there you go cool yeah. good for him yeah good for him I hope the film makes at least ten dollars we'll find out uh, also coming to cinemas, we have A Haunting in Venice which is another Agatha Christie inspired mystery and the third to be directed by Kenneth Branagh who of course also stars in mm-hmm. all of them so we're talking Murder on the Orient Express Death on the Nile this is the third one the film also stars Michelle Yeoh Kyle Allen uh, Camille Cotton and Tina Fey It's a bit of a line up there just a bit who done it, Zeke? <laughs> Was it all of them? Yes. Oh, good. I didn't watch it all, all All solved. <laughs> we did it. We solved it. Uh, Scrapper sees a 12-year-old girl, Georgie, happily living alone in a London flat when her estranged father returns to provide parental guidance. It's good timing because I'm, I'm hearing a lot of comparisons between this film and Aftersun, so there you go. Excellent. Well, we've timed that world well, didn't we? I know. Look at us go. We're so smart, Zeke. We're just so smart. And finally, Last Film Show takes place in India and sees a nine-year-old boy at a remote village discover his love for film and cinema. Yeah, just an Indian uh, Fablemans, there you go. There you go. It looks pretty good, actually. I saw the trailer for it. Does it have a massive dance sequence in the middle of it? Probably. And it's four-hour epic. I know, I think that in the trailer, he goes, he sneaks into like a museum and steals like a reel of film. And then there's a scene where outside the museum, these security guards were all like circled up be like, where are going to find this film reel? And then he comically, like, he drops the film reel and it, like, rolls towards him and all the film spills out. I'm like, it's, it's nice. It's very,
0: very uh, Bollywood,
1: isn't it? Yeah. That's all we're going to say Hindu, a bit one. of Hindu
0: cinema. I know, we love it. We love it, Zeke. Yeah, well, we we're big fans of RRR. Exactly. Triple R. r r r Wish I had a better name, not going to lie. was the one thing that was very hard to pronounce. What
1: was it? It's hard because like I don't see anyone calling it triple R. Like I feel like I'm not allowed to call it triple R. I have to say R R R and it's the kind of syllable you need to like let finish yeah, before you, you
0: repeat it. Yeah, you can't say a ah Ah You're just making an A <laughs> Exactly, sound.
1: it's so dumb. Oh god. But it's a great film, so that that that's in its favour, Zeke.
0: Yes. Which is very
1: good. But that's everything coming to streaming in cinemas
0: this week. Well, we're not going to catch any of those next week on the show, no. Jake, but we are doing a film next week that relates to something that has happened in the film world recently.
1: That is true. Um, we now know the new uh, Golden Lion winner, which is exciting. Our boy, Yogos Lamphamus. I'm yeah. so excited for Poor Things. It looks excellent. It and it's been wonderful.
0: 240 The 30-something episodes since we've done a Yorgoth Lanthimos film. I
1: know. It's been a while. I think that it was our first ever guest appearance on the entire show with Jesse Newell, who suggested it to us, and I'm glad he did, because Dogtooth was a fantastic film. Um, But it's kind of shocking that it's the only one of his films we've covered on the show.
0: So we're going to give Yorgoth Lanthimos another go-around with a film next week. But Jake, what are we watching?
1: Next week in the show, Zeke, we're watching a little old film called The Killing of a Sacred Deer. We... We don't have to worry about nothing Cause we got the fire And we're burning one hell of a something They, they're gonna see us from outer space
2: Yeah, I'm really sorry about Pod. It's nothing serious. No, it is.
0: Like we're the stars of the human race, human race Where did you two go? Did his father
2: die? A surgeon never kills a patient. An anesthesiologist can kill a patient, but a surgeon never can.
0: Don't be scared, Mom. You'll we'll see. You won't be able to move either. But to get used to
2: it. Where is she? What did you do to her?
0: I don't understand why I should have to pay the price. Why my children should have to pay the price.
1: It's
2: the only thing I can think of as close to justice. We
1: can light it up, 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 So they can put it out, out, out. Stephen Murphy, a surgeon, takes an awkward teenage boy under his wing. Things, however, get worse for the surgeon's family when they find out that that boy has a sinister agenda of his own. Mm. Mm. This, this, I'm really excited to revisit this film because I remember it very fondly. But then I also, I look at the letterbox score I gave it many years ago and some of my friends' opinions, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe there was a reason. Why, why, why am I putting on such high regard?
0: Whereas I've never seen this film. Yeah. the only yeah. of the... Le- well, if he's only got four, does he only have four? I'm sure he's got a few others. Okay. Well, the- those, those are
1: the four that come to mind, like the favourite, you're right, and then this film, uh, The Lobster, Yes, which is all...
0: I mean, they're all fantastic films. So So this one I'm keen to revisit. This is kind of in his, the main four that you get told about. This is the only one Mm. I haven't watched. So looking forward to giving it a watch. Until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Satcha podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with the killing of a sacred deer. Ow! That's a deer getting killed. Yeah, Bambi, (laughs) no!